We're not glory seekers and we expect our great work to speak for itself, but actually it doesn't. Even in the movies, in Hunger Games or in Frozen, women don't even have parity of dialogue. So, you know, what are we teaching our children? If we want it to be a genuine milestone and not a moment, we have to keep the pressure on. We just have to stop saying no, we have to say yes. Hello and welcome to the Rewire podcast, a podcast that aims to help rewire the real estate industry one story at a time. In these podcasts, we talk about all things diversity and inclusion from gender, ethnicity, background and sexuality to the diversity of roles there are in the industry, to the diverse skill sets required and the need for diverse and inclusive thinking. I'm your host, Sam McClary, and I am very excited to welcome to the studio today Claire Mason, founder of Man Bites Dog and the really very, very wonderful Gender Say Gap campaign. Claire, welcome. Very excited to be here. Thank you, Sam. Excellent. And for once, this studio is not hotter than the sun. So You think this isn't hot? Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll invite you back when it really is hot. It's, it's usually... So cold or so hot, but uh, maybe it's slightly warm today. <laughs> um, but enough about the temperature. Let's uh, let's talk about, about you. Tell our listeners a little bit about um, your career, I suppose, and your journey to Man Bites Dog. So I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur. I started my, uh, not in the breakfast cereal sense, <laughs> but in the sense of uh, uh, m much entrepreneurship. So I, I, I ran a business when I was a teenager and um, I then embarked on a career in marketing communications and, and wrote a few books and always had it in the back of my mind that I really wanted to start my own business. And uh, back in 2005, I saw a really interesting opportunity in the knowledge economy because it's very difficult to market invisible services businesses. And I saw this space in the nexus of professional services, including built environment related services, financial services and technology, this kind of triangle of services businesses to create a business that would really bring them to life hmm. because you can't see and touch what they do. It's really intangible. And so Man Bites Dog was born. And um, really, that really describes in a nutshell what we do. As, as you know, as a journalist, it's the definition of a story. Dog bites man happens all the time. Man bites dog's a story. It's remarkable, it's memorable, and it's worth sharing. And that's what we specialise in. We generate big ideas for our clients, and we make those ideas travel using marketing to position our clients as, as global thought leaders. Fantastic. And one of those big ideas is um, is, is why you're here today. Um, it's the, you came across and, and have uh, come up with this great, great phrase, I think, about the gender say gap, not the gender pay gap, but the gender say gap. Can you tell us a little bit about how how and why you've you've come up with that campaign? So it was, it was um, we spend all of our time creating great ideas and big campaigns for our clients. And I started to notice something in, in the environment, really, that I thought, actually, I want to make a change and I want Man Bites Dog to take a stand. Um, and it was around the time of the Me Too movement and the gender pay gap reporting. Um, 
And really, it just occurred to me that all of these incredibly important milestones for women are actually just symptoms of something much, much bigger, which is the gender say gap, that absence of women's ideas and voices and the absence of women in in business and in pretty much every walk of of life, really. Um, So we don't hear from female authorities in the boardroom. We don't hear many women on the news and especially not in business news. And there's not many women writing the business news either. So it's great to be in your company today. (laughs) Um, But even in the movies in Hunger Games or in Frozen, women don't even have parity of dialogue. So, you know, what are we teaching our children about women's right to speak? And it just really occurred to me that the problem that we have in becoming more equal in our society and being paid equally for equal work and actually trying to address our inequality at senior levels in organisations all come down to the lack of visibility of women. And I really think if we can close the say gap, we'll get closer to changing the pay gap and our representation. Excellent. And you're absolutely spot on. I see it um, here at EG, actually. And, you know, we're um, so uh, passionate about... Um, DNI, and we're a team actually of journalists here that's female dominated. But then I look at um, some of the content that we run and the people that we talk to, and it is majority men. And some of that is because there are more men in the in- industry, and there certainly are more men in senior positions. But then I I look at it myself and think, well, am I doing enough to seek out? the female voices and you know one of the reasons that we came came together was because I said are women doing enough to um, be those voices as, as well so I guess really keen to hear from from you some of the the things that we can do to close that that gender say gap is it on women to do that or is it on businesses to do that or a combination of, of both I think it is a combination of both. It's definitely a two-way street um, for that. And I think there's an awful lot we can do. I think as women ourselves, we we need to look at why men are succeeding in growing their profiles and their visibility. And we can really learn from that because they are putting up their hands and volunteering. And they are seeing, they're taking it seriously as part of their career development to invest in their profile and their public speaking skills and to ask their companies to sponsor that for them. And they volunteer when it comes to public relations or when it comes to generating thought leadership. So for example, when we are developing a major thought leadership marketing campaign for one of our clients, we really struggle to get diversity of thinkers in the room. And even when women are in the room for the thinking and the ideation process, they will often shy away from fronting the work that they've contributed to, Hmm. Um, which I think is really interesting. And that's why your piece about are women to blame for all male panels really resonated with me because I think... Not to stereotype us because I know we're all different, but sometimes we can sh- we're not glory seekers and we expect our great work to speak for itself, mm. but actually it doesn't. And I think we have to consider it part of our jobs and also part of our duty to the next generation because they can't be what they can't see in us. So I think probably, I would say there are probably three things that women can do themselves. One is really to focus very seriously on growing your capability and building your profile get the training, put it into your personal development plan and look at how you can really leverage the resources in your organisation. So your marketing and PR team 
will be so happy to have keen and competent volunteers and they might also give you some feedback and help you hone those skills. Um, and I think don't be afraid to ask for help. So um, this morning I moderated a panel for the first time. I'd never done that before, but I didn't want to say no because I wanted there to be a woman on the panel. <laughs> um, so um, I actually saw a fantastic woman, Jane from Reuters, facilitated a panel last week. And I just went up to her at the end and asked her, can you give me your top tips? And she said, no, it takes longer than that. Come and have a coffee. <laughs> and so she spent about 40 minutes with me showing me what to do. So I, I think firstly, take it seriously, hone your skills. I think secondly, we just have to stop saying no. We have to say yes to the terrifying speaking opportunity or the piece of media coverage that we might do or to writing features or whatever it might be. And I think there's lots of people that can help you and help you get it right. But if we keep saying no, we're not really going to make a change. Mm. Um, and, and I think also we can help other women as well. So um, every time I'm on a panel, I have a little black book of all the amazing women I know that... I can recommend. So I think as individuals we can do more, but organisations certainly can too. Absolutely. And one of the one of the things about all rewire events that we do actually is we ask other other women, um, other people. We do we are, or will be doing more than just um, gender. I can't speak specific. There we go. I've been drinking again. Um, I will later. Uh, um, events that they bring someone along with them who might find it useful or interesting. And I think you know that sort of paying it forward. Um, idea is, is so important if we want to want to make change. And it comes back to what you said earlier, actually, about um, because women are underrepresented at senior level, what about if you're more junior in the organisation and you're not getting that? So actually taking um, people at less senior levels with you to those events, I think, is hugely valuable for people from a mentoring perspective. Absolutely. And the speakers don't have to be the most senior people, do they? They're often no, more expert not to be. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. no, we um, uh, look forward to hearing all sorts of different types of opinion. And, and you know, if we're honest, that people in senior levels tend to have this, have a I won't say the same, but quite similar outlooks on on the business. Whereas those who are um, maybe closer to the the sort of uh, the working end of it have a, a entirely different view, and that's that's no less important. It's potentially more important. Um, I was really interested um, in you talking about um, getting some tips and advice on on chairing a panel, and you know the the fear I suppose that comes with doing something for the first time. I'd, I'd like to, if we were able to sort of go back in time a little bit and think about that very first time that you had to um, stand up and say, actually, I'm going to I'm going to have my voice heard. And and if you can give us a little bit of a recount of um, how that how that felt before and then what you realized afterwards once you'd done it. So I guess this kind of came about because of the gender say gap. So. I had noticed this and it was really bothering me. I'd noticed that in our work, no matter, my, my organisation is quite female dominated because we're a strategic marketing consultancy. Um, but I was noticing that I would work on a piece of global work that had been produced by, for example, 30 women. And it would all be fronted by men, no matter how hard we tried or how hard the organisation tried. And I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to take no for an answer anymore. I need to be able to guide and coach these women to say yes. 
Um, and it was almost like a line was just crossed in my mind when one particular campaign went out with no women in it whatsoever. And I thought, OK, I've got to sort this out. So I'll take responsibility. And so I thought for me to have a leg to stand on, I would have to sort myself out <laughs> and get myself willing to do speaker opportunities and so forth. So I embarked on um, a course um, with Leaders Voice, which I found incredibly helpful, which really helped you over the course of three months or so, sort of the odd days training, to produce a vision and a speech. So you came out of it not only with the practical skills, but with something that was authentic to you and also with a voice and with something to say. And I felt I'd really been able to hone my vision for the gender say gap and what I wanted to, ch to change. Um, so my first ever proper speaker gig was actually in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> I cannot tell you how utterly terrified I was. And um, I'm actually getting adrenaline rushes just <laughs> thinking about it. So I'm feeling slightly sick and my calf muscles are going all blurry. Um, but um, it was terrifying. And I remember just trying to centre myself in the room and standing on the stage. And um, the clock was ticking so loud, I asked one of the sort of janitorial staff if it was possible to turn it off. And he said it was about 400 years old, so probably <laughs> not. <laughs> but just the loud tick of that clock. So I, I don't think these mythical unicorn people that are naturally credible and happy at public speaking, I'm sure there are a few of them, but certainly through the British state school system, <laughs> I don't think there's that many of us. So I think you have to just take it seriously and you have to do it. But um. Afterwards, I felt just absolutely elated. It's almost like doing extreme sports, I guess. <laughs> so terrifying, but I was very warmly received. And, and then you realise that actually people don't want you to fail. They really want you to succeed. And I felt really supported by the people there. I get, you know, people are generally quite nice, aren't they? I, I found in, in life and those that aren't don't care about them. So um, maybe that's quite a nice attitude to take in. And I think, you know, if people are going to an event, they're going because they want to hear you speak. Yeah, as you say, not there to see you see you fail. Um, so, so now do you think that if you are doing something that does give you a little bit of a fear, do you take yourself back to that point and think, well, I got through, that was really frightening and I got through that, so I can do anything now? I think so. And I think what, what I did was I realised that my particular problem is that... Um, I get absolutely terrified right before I do something like that. So I thought the only way of getting through this, it's almost like aversion therapy. I'm just going to have to do a lot. So I said uh, last May, I would say yes to absolutely any public speaking opportunity I was offered unless it was completely impossible. <laughs> and this has led me on an extremely exciting journey where I've been talking with on panels where I felt hugely out of my depth with world experts on their subject. And the funniest thing that happened to me was that because obviously I'd promised that I wouldn't say no to anything, I ended up being paid by the Finnish Arts Council to perform a, a feminist swearing rap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've, I kind of want to hear it. But <laughs> do you remember it? I think I might have mentioned the word Brexit quite a few times. <laughs> but it's been such an adventure and I think it's so worth it because you meet so many amazing people and really grow your network and then you can help them be speakers as well and I think actually just being open about it and just talking about it and saying actually I had to prepare a lot for mm. that or actually I was terrified or that was the first time I'd done it I think really helps other people absolutely and and is that obviously that's helped you person personally has it helped you professionally as well to say yes to everything 
I think it really has. I think um, I'm starting to be more fearless about accepting things and just saying, okay, I've never done it before. I don't know how to do it. Let's find out and let's get on with it. So I think that's been really good. And I think that's been a really good um, role modelling for my team about getting people out of their comfort zones. I think the other thing is that... um, I've just really enjoyed the amazing network of people I've got to know through it who I would have never have met. Like, for example, Sam, we would never have met if it hadn't been for the Gender Say Gap initiative. So I've met some incredible people as well. Um, And from a business perspective, it's great because I get to stand on a stage and show people what I can do and what my business does. It's been great for my clients because actually I've presented the work we've done for them Mm. when they've not been able to make something. So I've kept their message going. So I've found it just hugely rewarding professionally as well. Fantastic. And now before... um we well we you and I and uh, one of our other speakers uh, tonight were talking about um, the event and we were uh, we were talking about clothing actually which um, um, without being stereotypical to us women it's important it's important to a lot of boys too Um, and we were talking about what what to wear uh, and uh, you uh, are a big fan of bright colours I'm a big fan of bright colours although I've let the side down today and I'm head to toe in black so apologies for that Do you think that colour and what we wear on a stage has any impact in in terms of how people perceive us and um, how we feel about ourselves? Sorry, that's a little bit of a curveball in this conversation, but I'll throw it in anyway. And and listeners should know that Sam's here in bright blue glasses, so she's not entirely (laughs) had to tear in black. I've got them on. Great. (laughs) There's a a fun giveaway there. Um, I was going to say I've got blue pants on as well, which is true, but it's giving too much away. These are not visible. (laughs) So... um, I think for me, it's something that you feel comfortable and confident in. And I think that's quite important. And your posture is quite important. And so um, don't wear high heels, I would say, unless you can sort of do gymnastics in high heels, which I certainly can't. I think wearing really comfortable shoes is so helpful because that really helps ground you. And I I think... um, one of the great tips I heard was, you know, imagine you've got really heavy boots and wings, so you're standing with the right posture and you've I got like your wings. And this is a, a Sarah Lloyd Hughes one. It's a very good idea. And then heavy boots. Um, so I tend to wear fairly comfortable shoes, but also something that makes me feel happy. So I love bright red. So that makes me feel happy and it makes me feel confident. And that kind of is a signature colour for me Mm. and I think it's quite interesting that when you're younger um, well I was 30 when I started my business so I was incredibly conscious of being seen to be credible and I used to kind of dress in no um, not casting aspersions on your black (laughs) but I used to I used to wear very black suits very Mm. boring and just kind of fade into the background but look credible yeah whereas now I think actually there's more power in having a signature and being bright and just being what's comfortable for you really with with credibility but why not with personality as well you know why not stand out absolutely well you mentioned the authenticity word earlier and you you have to be authentic don't you and if if uh, um, bright colors is what makes you feel like you then you go for it I say and I think you look fabulous in red thank you very much (laughs) I think it's little things as well like you know handbags and earrings it sounds crazy but I've made so many friends because I was wearing weird earrings or a bright handbag and if you're networking it's something to break the ice immediately, at least at least amongst fellow women. Anyway. <laughs> and some, and, and some, some of the men. And some of the men, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, know, I know, well, most of the men I know are yeah. much better dressed than, than me. So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so um, we're not leaving the boys out. <laughs> um, 
if we get to that point, which I really hope we do get to, where there is no gender say gap, that we hear voices from um, women as much as we hear voices from men, we hear voices from people of colour as much as we hear voices um, from uh, coming out of white faces and, uh, you know, different backgrounds and all sorts. If we get to that point, what do you think, this is a difficult question as well, what do you think the world looks like? And do you think we're getting anywhere close to it? I think the built environment has an enormous challenge. So we make so much fuss about the fact that I think there's only 17% of women in technology. And and part of the reason for that is because only one in 10 high school kids can name a woman in technology. I think with 13% women in the built environment, that's such a low figure. Mm. We've got to change that. We've got to attract more people into the industry. And we've also got to make sure that they become more senior. So I think, unfortunately, women of the built environment, we really need you to step up and be visible and be vocal. And you're going to have to punch above your weight and take up space because otherwise we're going to be living in a man-made world and this lack of women in in property in the built environment will self-perpetuate. So I think if we can bridge the gender say gap and really improve the representation of women in other diverse groups, we can then really focus on making sure that we're recruiting people in and we can make sure that we're carrying them up to the top of the organisation. I think the mistake organisations often make is they think that for you to represent the business, you have to be on the board, you have to be part of that management team. Whereas actually, if you think of a lot of the companies in the built environment, they're selling expert consultancy. And actually, the greatest expert consultancy, usually at that level, sort of below a partner level or a level below that even, as you say, they're they're closer to the coalface, really, they really understand the clients and the issues. So I think really making those experts very visible will help us. And then then I think when that's closed, it will still take some time, but that should really help us to move to a more equal position. And that makes the world a a much more pleasant place in which to live. And hopefully, you know, we've seen all those stats, haven't we, out there about um, if you have a gender diverse or just a diverse board in in, uh, business, then you're more profitable. So maybe we'll be a world that um, looks better does better and and feels better for every, everyone in it. Absolutely. And I think while the gender say gap is, is closing a visibility problem, and I think we can really start to see more women in property through that, I think with some black and minority ethnic groups, there's more of an access problem and other things going on. Mm. So that sort of representation can be part of it. But there's other, other things we need to do. But I think particularly as we live in this kind of VUCA world and we're facing climate change and we're facing huge issues around populations in cities and and our ageing infrastructure, we need a diversity of thinkers of all kinds to solve the issues that the built environment is facing and that humanity is facing. So if we want the best answers, we need more diversity of thinking, really. Absolutely. I always love where the conversations in this room go, because we start off talking about um, gender and then we talk about, you know, sort of fixing the world. And it is so important, you know, that that diversity of thought, that diversity of thinkers is where we get the right solutions to the problems out there. And, you know, we all know there's there's plenty of them at the moment. And it's I don't know about you, Claire, but for me, it does feel like there's a real momentum at the at the moment with um, people wanting to do more and do 
do better and you know I think there's had to have been some some horrible things that have gone on to get to that point but we've got to look forward and and as you say you know say say yes to things and not say no and look back at some of the horrendous things that have happened let's look forward and say well this is how we're going to get there this is how we're going to close that gender say gap the gender pay gap and all all of the gaps out there that don't maybe the Watford gap I don't know (laughs) um uh, I think I feel confident do you I do but we can't be complacent so gender gender equality is having a moment but if we want it to be a genuine milestone and not a moment we have to keep the pressure on so we're hitting we've just had the first anniversary of me too we're coming up to the first anniversary of the gender pay gap this could all dissipate and fade away or we can keep it going and we can increase the pressure and we can make a difference the only people that can make a difference are the people listening to this podcast and their colleagues in terms of really closing that gender say gap and making a huge difference Absolutely. So everyone, you've just heard it. It's up to you. Um, we here at EG promise to do our bit. Our bit. Claire, are you, you're promising to do your bit, I'm sure. I am. And I dare everyone to not say no <laughs> for oh. a whole year. So when Sam asks you to do a panel or uh, be interviewed by a States Gazette, please say yes. Yes. Do say yes. Don't say no. Unless it's to drugs and say no. just like Grange Hill but no do say yes and we will be asking you we've got a long list of amazing women um, to go to now and also to all the companies out there I'd like for you um, to look internally as well and make sure that you are pushing your your people towards us too with those different voices those diverse voices um, and um, together we can make it a, a better place. Absolutely. I would actually dare all companies as part of their gender pay gap reporting to audit their gender say gap as well. Ooh. I do dare it. you. Go on. <laughs> That's a dare from Claire. So you've got to do it. Uh, Claire, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast studio. We could go on for hours, but we do have an event to get to. So uh, uh, let's uh, get ready for that. And um, thank you again for joining us. Today. Thank you. Thank you.